This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, movie lovers. Today we dissect the Justice League. That's right, the fifth movie in the DCEU. So stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the DCEU here on Anatomy of a Movie. We have Dimitri Panos. And I'm Phil Svitek. We are once again missing from action the Marissa Serafini. But we are we're recruiting her. The Marissa Serafini. The one and only. Um, as we always do, first off, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a first-time newcomer, welcome. We appreciate you. If you're returning, welcome back. Uh, a couple of things. Understand that this is uh, going to be very spoiler-filled. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie, you know, you've been warned. If you have, then you'll enjoy it. Um, secondly, uh, you can get our rundown of everything we sort of talk about in the description box. It's a PDF. Um, and uh, so check out all those notes there. And as we always do, let's start with overall impressions for the Justice League. Okay, let's. <laughs> um, first, uh, and foremost, and again, hey, movie fans, thanks for joining. Uh, I think it's important, and this will probably be brought up uh, many a time, uh, $300 million, $300 million or 250 to $300 million is what the estimated production cost of this movie is to be. So with that, I'm going to start in, um, because whatever goodwill I felt that DC earned and, and, and they've not been having the easiest of times of, as far as earning fan respect or actually just moviegoers. Okay, DC fans out of it, just moviegoers respect uh, up until Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was the one that actually I felt was turning it, turning the ship around and, and, and writing, uh, writing all the wrongs because uh, they made a good movie and they had there was some really good will and the movies made so much money, but it was a good movie. Um, so DC had earned, I felt, a lot of goodwill with this things going forward and everything that they earned every good every piece of goodwill they earned i felt was nearly obliterated with this horrible justice league movie and to be clear i think it's fair it, this disaster can't be blamed on direction uh not that i'm a, a Zack snyder apologist but i had many a conversation about this in justice league and Zack snyder uh, and I think it should also be noted, we'll, we'll talk about it some more, you know, he was the main director. He, he suffered a family tragedy. And uh, I felt that his actions were actually the right thing to do. He said, you know what? I, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And I, I, I have things that I have to assess and prepare and be with my wife. Because it was a very personal tragedy. 
And a lot of people in this town, Phil, you know, sometimes they just like they try to put up the the good front and say, I'm going to continue to work. And this is what that person would want. No, he took the time. And I think rightfully so. Uh, I also uh, we're arguing the fact that I think that Zack Snyder is a very visual stylistic director, but I think he's a good director. I think he's put out some some entertaining movies out there. At, um, but in the case of of this movie, even Batman versus Superman to an extent, to me, this is all stemming from the top, not Warner Brothers, but DC Studios. Um, so. You know, I think they have, there is a lack of experience in movie, in movie storytelling. You know, the people who head it, there were great DC comic book editors. Jeff Johns has written some of the best, best story arcs for some of DC's finest. Um, but as far as movies go, they, they just don't have a concept. They, they not, they're grabbing for straws. And to me, they're failing miserably. Um, you know, to, to the DC apologists who argue, well, a good movie is a good movie. Well, I agree that a good movie is a good movie. Wonder Woman proved to be a very good movie. And if you were to put Wonder Woman and Justice League side by side to watch, there's no comparison as to which one is the better movie. And in fact, I think Justice League did a major disservice to what Wonder Woman did and the look of Wonder Woman and the feel of it. Um, Justice League, well, it isn't in, even in the same league as the Wonder Woman movie is. And I felt there was a lack of chemistry, lack of coherence or plotting, just awful CG. Uh, the sets looked like they were reused sets from the Joel Schumacher days of Batman, minus all of the vibrancy. But they, for a $300 million movie, they looked like sets. They didn't look like environments. That was angering. Um, you had a boring villain who was who made characters in War, Warcraft look good. I mean, he was so horribly CG'd. It, 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 and he looked like one of the discarded uh, production designs of, of Snoke from the Star Wars movies. Um, yeah, I, it just was awful. And this reverse engineering, and I've talked about this, I talked about this a little bit in Batman vs. Superman when we did that. DC has gone about like doing a reverse engineering from what the Marvel Universe has done. And, and I understand that you want to try to separate yourself and not do the, maybe the same thing as Marvel, but this reverse engineering experiment, which started in Batman vs. Superman, it's got to go. you got to jettison it because it's not working. And it didn't work... Like in Batman vs. Superman, and bear with me too, because that movie literally stopped the action and the flow and the plot so that we can see interstitials of these new characters in Justice League, such as The Flash, such as Cyborg, such as Aquaman. Like we literally stopped. They were about to get into a fight with Doomsday, and it stops just to show us snippets of this. And it had nothing to do with Batman vs. Superman. It was only to promote this. And now we're getting a movie with all of these characters thrown in where there's no coherence and it leaves no time for to build any chemistry or for an audience who's unaware of who these characters are. And yes, you may know Aquaman, right? But I, the regular moviegoer, the layman, is not going to know the machinations of cyborg 
It's just not going to happen. The Flash is on TV. It's a popular series. So granted, I think a lot of kids would know who the Flash is uh, 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 today. But it just that didn't work. Um, They even ruined the one plot point that was interesting in this movie, which was the resurrection of Superman. And that had so many weighted themes to be carried. That could have been, should have been, I felt, like its own movie because you had a morality deal. There's guilt involved. Do we do this? Do we not do this? Uh, And it's all given like about 10 minutes of screen time, albeit probably the best 10 minutes of the movie. And then it's done. And he's back and he saves the day. So I, I just... We could go on some more. I have my full review, which I will share with everybody. Um, you know, there, there was some humor in this. Some of it was actually intentional. Some of it not intentional. We could talk about dialogue. I think Ezra Miller as The Flash was probably the most intriguing character for me. Um, but, you know, I just think it's time, um, with the exception of Wonder Woman at this point, they need to... those. DC studio executives need to fall on their sword and they need fresh blood who knows how to map things out and be cohesive and bring these things together in in an intelligent way. Fans of comic books and adventure and action movies are being given this. And I'm not a Marvel guy either. I will tell you that Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming was not my favorite Marvel film. We talked Thor Ragnarok here, which I enjoyed thoroughly much more than this, but it had its issues too. And the ir- irony of it all is I, was, I grew up a DC person. I grew up reading DC comic books more so than Marvel, but now as far as the movies go, I'm definitely more of a Marvel movie person than I am a DC movie person. And that's why they need to reboot. They need to rethink. And, you know, again, $300 million, folks. Um, you should be ashamed of what you put out for $300 million. And about 10 years in the plan, in the planning for this, and this is what you, you unleashed on movie-going audiences, $300 million budget, shame. Ding, ding. Shame. <laughs> you should just, and that's how I feel about Justice League. So I'll, I'll summarize mine in, in such a way that uh, the, the, the real injustice to me is that there are good elements in this overall. There, you know, And I always stick my hat on those, and that, that's what makes it very painful when I talk about various movies of this kind, is that, uh, unfortunately, the, the bad outweighs the good. And I, I, but there are gl- glimpses of the good, and, and uh, you know, I wanted this movie to be awesome. I really did. And that's what makes this, I think, most painful is that uh, you, you see the potential and, it, and it's unrealized. Um, from, from the things I've read and so forth, um, they're trying to go movie by movie and kind of take it in that way. But as far as that's concerned, I say just cut out all the post credit scenes. Don't do that because obviously, uh, you know, there's one with Lex Luthor and... and setting up something else so if that's not your intention like just and you know uh you and i joked about it before easter eggs uh you you know you didn't do a list of easter eggs i someone have a list of easter eggs but the point being that unlike in marvel movies it really doesn't matter because the easter eggs are completely irrelevant um and if that's the route i actually think it's a smart route just take it movie by movie and you know what make a good movie and essentially that's how 
I don't know. Honestly, I can't speak to uh, everything in that way. But it seems like comics overall just kind of, yeah, there, there might be trilogies and so forth and, and through lines overall. But generally, it seems to me that you kind of just make good comics and one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, you know, Marvel, I give them a lot of credit. However, they're starting to learn that, you know, what 17 films in, <laughs> it's hard to keep that going, that, that juggle act. And you know what? Just just make a good movie one after the other and that's why Wonder Woman it was it was a standalone movie it didn't have to support anything else besides its own um, greatness and you know this had to support too much Batman v Superman had to support this movie um, and that's what I, I I didn't appreciate about it and you know in, in a way this movie opens up with the little video footage of of uh, Superman you know, having a, finally a smile on his face, enjoying his job. <laughs> right. And I think that the, that's the part, like, you know, Batman, of course, he's going to have a growl, and that's Batman. You know, he's dark and so forth. But the fact that Superman, for the longest time, was a dark character, it's, it's not his nature. He's a happy-go-lucky guy. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I appreciated some of those things, but whereas, ironically... Batman was the best character for me in Batman v Superman. He was one of the worst characters in this. Yeah, he, he wasn't given like he wasn't given enough, and I and I really felt that you were with Batman versus Superman. You were forging the Troika. You were forging the 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 creators of the Justice League, which was Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Okay, everything else stems from there as far as putting this together. In this movie. It was showing to do that, but again, with the resurrection of Superman, it was done so. It was done out of selfishness. It was done out of, well, we can't do this. We can't do this alone. We we need the strongest person who's impervious to most everything in the world, in the galaxy, in the universe. We have to resurrect him in one way, shape, or form. And that too bothered me because at the very end of. Batman vs. Superman at the funeral, at the gravesite, whatever, you saw those rocks floating up, which hinted that he was alive. He's alive. And over here, we gotta go to some Fakakta resurrection thing that just like was just thrown in there. And it's like, why not do you had great source material. And I'm not saying that you had to do the life and death of Superman, or, you know, the death of Superman and then have him come back and all these iterations or have people come back as Superman. You, you, you had the themes that you brought out in this movie, but it should have been a Batman wonder woman kind of, morality play like is this the right thing to do and you know obviously there's guilt on bruce wayne's part because he completely misjudged who clark kent and superman stood for up until the very end and if he was able to do it maybe part guilt maybe part you know what the earth really needs hope we don't need him just because he can take out most anybody we need him for the hope I need hope. Wonder Woman stands for hope. But the three of us together can bring hope into the world. And then at the end of that movie could be, you know what? We can we can build a team. We can build a league. You know, we have this Hall of Justice, which was a scene that I appreciated as a comic book fan and, and seeing the Hall of the, the, what was potentially going to be the Hall of Justice. 
but that could have been one movie. And think about, for a comic book movie, all of those themes that could have played. And then Superman comes back and he's deranged and crazy. And how does Batman and Wonder Woman, how do they slow down the most powerful entity in the universe? Like, that could have been a good movie alone. Um, They do. They bite off more than they can chew. Well... The problem, you know, you're you're pointing to the fact that they have too many characters they have to juggle. Ones that we've apart from quick, uh, as the internet calls them, quick time files. We don't really know much about them, and so here we have to learn. To, but generally, yeah, the best sort of villainous movies in whatever form. I don't care western, Star Wars, and so forth. Um, and Mar- Marvel people have pointed that Marvel's somewhat guilty of this too. Is that uh, they don't treat their villains enough in terms of uh, care and so forth, and so Steppenwolf, we, we we don't really get too much of him, and I get it. He's he's just a caricature of like he's just pure evil, and that's it. There's you know, but um, you know, in, in, in that respect, the, where I'm going with this is is you know, um, Diana Wonder Woman keeps saying about you know she doesn't want to force people into positions where they have to give up their lives, and she doesn't want to be a leader. Well, truthfully, if I didn't see Wonder Woman, I'd be like, huh. <laughs> what are you talking about? Right. What the hell is going on? Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously it, it points to the fact that, you know, her love interest, he gave up his life, which, by the way, I think that's a plot point that I don't think he needed to give up his life. Right. But neither here nor there he did, and so that's why she feels guilty about pressuring anyone to give up their life. But it's, you know, um, Batman, in, in, in an interesting way, Batman's always been utilitarian, but without ever wanting to kill somebody. Right. And obviously That's part of his code, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, like that, that it's also like um, like in Batman v Superman, they played with his code because he was using guns, and Batman's not yeah. known for using guns. No, and so it's a it, strict code, especially in the comics. Well, now it's you know you're 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 playing with a lot of different things and and that aren't fully explored, mm-hmm. and uh, I I feel that's that's the problem. It had. A, you know, even Batman v Superman, the whole idea of uh, the God complex, you know, it, it just, but it, it, it's done through, it, it's just ideas thrown on a TV, people on, on the newscast debating it, might as well put us in there, because, like, that's what it ultimately was, is just people debating it, sure. but the movie not supporting it. Right, yeah, and I think that's DC, at this point, their biggest <clears throat> problem outside of, like, Wonder Woman. I remember when we did Wonder Woman, I said that this is DC's best Marvel movie yet. Because they that's what they did. It was almost as if they, like, yes, this is a very good origin story. Bringing Wonder Woman into this movie, again, I felt that she was somewhat cheapened. I actually, okay, I couldn't help but think of James Cameron and the brouhaha he started when he said that while he enjoyed Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman, he did feel that Wonder Woman was exploited and exploitive. You know, mm-hmm. costuming and everything. Oh my God, that sent the internet a buzz and fire, and such hatred was being spewed at James Cameron because, a number one, uh, he was sticking up for women. If you read his full comments, but then in this movie, I I saw more upskirt shots of Wonder Woman than I did in any of the first, the original series of Star Trek. The, like, just pick a season. Right, that's when I learned as a kid what an upskirt shot is. This movie, I was like, number one, I think her skirt got shorter from the Wonder Woman movie, 
And well, it, uh, objectively, the Amazonians, like if if you look at them in Wonder Woman, they're fully clothed with armor, right? In this what? one, they're wearing basically bras, right. and like you could literally, just yeah. not even a comparison. And to... I was just like, uh, Mr. Cameron, yeah, you're proven right for Justice League. I mean, absolutely. I was actually amazed that. I just thought somebody might have said, "Hey, guys, let's let's put black." Did I mind? No, I'm not gonna mind. But don't be casting that, oh, we're so supportive of women, we're not exploitive. Really, look at her pose. I mean, that's sort of kind of an unnatural pose, but I just felt that this is sort of kind of exploitive, guys. You, You can't take the argument if somebody says, if somebody calls you out, after watching this, you I can point to many places where it was exploitive. And I just, it felt like, again, the goodwill that Wonder Woman brought up uh, was dashed. Themyscira, Themyscira, uh, Paradise Island, it was so beautiful and lush and ancient in this movie, in, in Wonder Woman. And in this movie, it, it looked like a backlot. It looked CG. It looked fuzzy. There was nothing beautiful about it anymore. I, and those things made me like angry like we should have focused on our three cast of characters who met you know i had jason momoa uh, you know i can't complain about performances but jason momoa is aquaman put it to you this way I, i could care less if they do any singular movies of either aquaman cyborg maybe one of the flash but he's on tv every week and he's done really well by the kid that plays him on TV. Well, no that, offense it, to Ezra Miller. Well, even that's a difference because uh, at least the, the TV shows and, and whatnot, they play into the Marvel Universe. This is side by side, but completely it's like the DC, Yeah. You know, it's not like, I don't know, I, I don't watch The Flash, but it's, it's not like it ties in anything into this. It's not really. Separate. It, it is separate, but it is a DC show, and for the most part, you know, the kid that plays him is really good, and they have a decent cast. Um, but, yeah, I'm not knocking the TV show. Obviously. Yeah, no, but I'm just like, like saying, like, these three new characters that were brought into this movie, I, I'm, I've got no grand interest to see solo movies of them now. No. You didn't do anything in this movie to make me very excited about them. Um, since you pretty much had to stop this movie to give me exposition about who they are, Um, which the Marvel movies really haven't done because they started off with character movies first before we teamed them up. So they already had a rapport, a rapport, a repartee, uh, where this one, there's some funny dialogue, you know, some laughs. Interestingly enough, I mean, uh, I think they wrestling to me is a great, sort of example of how to do things. How so? Well, in the sense, they introduce new characters, and they are characters, Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, they take their time with it. They have a build-up. You know, for them, the Super Bowl of wrestling is WrestleMania, and so if they want something built up, they don't don't announce it a week or month before. You know, there's storylines that fans speculate for a year, two years going into WrestleMania of like, oh, this is what they're building up towards. And so as far, right. part of that, you know, just just b- build it a little bit slower, um, at least in the wrestling terms, it's been proven to work, that it, people will be excited, but just give them a crumb by crumb. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't give them the whole piece of the bread. Right. It, and I said this during Batman vs. Superman. Uh, 
and even to an extent on when we talk to Wonder Woman is that it just feels that DC is rushing things. It's they're throwing things down a movie audience's throat, which a lot of it is fan service, but but where Marvel was smart is that they go above and beyond. They realize that there's a movie going audience out there who may have heard of who Aquaman is. I, I can guarantee you that outside of DC, you really don't know who Cyborg is. I, I mean, you know, and, I, I didn't really and know. So you have to introduce them in a way in which fans accept them. Listen, Thor is a perfect example. I mean, even going into Thor, I'd heard of Thor and I'm like, this is a Norse god. How but you have, to, you have to define him because right. that's the problem. Exactly. You know, regardless, like there's Norse did. mythology, there's there's all kinds of iterations. What's right. ours? Right. And they did that. They they put out a movie, and I walked out of that movie. The original's going, okay. <laughs> I was entertained. Maybe not the most perfect movie, but it was fun. It would have behooved DC to somehow do this, other than. What did you call it? Quick time. <laughs> well, the quick the quick time movies. Yeah. yeah, the quick time movies that were Batman vs Superman, and I, you know we should look up too because someone will have to uh, you know and again on this point as far as a DC Comics fan, I don't know if this is the original lineup of our Justice League because for for whatever reason I had always well, thought that it was Green Arrow. I knew he was a part of it. I knew Aquaman was a part of it as well. Um, but there are other characters that you could have used that 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 a little bit more uh, known that could have been given. An so we have uh, Superman, Aquaman, Flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Batman, and Wonder Woman. That's the original lineup, right there. That's according to a quick search without so, much verification. Yeah. That is the original. Yeah. So you know, in Green Lantern, who who like again the Green Lantern Corps. They were they were showcased in this movie for about you know a, a New York minute. What that showed though is what Green Lantern is all about. Like they're saviors of the universe, like the galaxy, right? Having this Green Lantern power and being part of the Justice League to to, to fight all these uh, enormous uh, uh, villains, so to speak, and where the stakes are very high. It was fun to see that for a second, but I don't know why they're so afraid of going back to that well and give us a good Green Lantern movie. I know you're still stinging from the the Ryan Reynolds version, but that character is due, and if he's part of this, make that movie so that when we get to this, we know Green Lantern, we know these characters, they already will have that chemistry. Uh, because I, I really think that the chemistry between Superman, between Gal Gadot, between Ben Affleck, and between Henry Cavill was really was starting to, to, to mesh. Like, you put them three together, there were, I think that they were just starting to mesh in that, okay, I'm buying into these three. Like I, a little. I mean, I, ba- Superman for me was always the anomaly just because he, he you know, part of his charm is that he has empathy for humans. And yet his display is just so uh, just bland and un- unemotional whatsoever. Even his emotions are just very stoic. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know. It's- I felt after his resurrection and after one of the most god-awful lines that came out of nowhere, uh, it-, it took over for me for like worst movie, which was, I believe, in the, 
Attack of the Clones, Star Wars Attack of the Clones, where Anakin Skywalker's with Padme, and he's like, oh, I hate the sand. And it, like, sort of, cut, right? It was just such a corny line. And this one, you got soups, a shirtless Clark Kent, and Lois Lane out in the cornfields, and they're having having some dialogue and out of nowhere Lois Lane says you smell nice what <laughs> like I, what oh you smell nice I don't know but after that I did feel that Henry Cavill Superman felt like he was that truth and justice for the American way when he comes and saves the day at the last second which come on there's no suspense there but I actually felt that this was more of the Superman that were that we wanted and I really did feel that these three were starting that bond. And and again, going to what is the proposed just Hall of Justice, I felt that, that, that there was a... Obviously, Bruce and Batman have a respect for Superman, a far better respect than what Batman had at the beginning of Batman vs. Superman. Gal Gadot coming in as Wonder Woman is realizing that, hey, there are other people who can have some hope. I... I am of that. I need to get back into this game because I can do good. I can do good for women, but I can do good for the entire world. And with these three who have differences of opinions in the way that they will go about achieving their goals, they still have a common goal, and that is humanity and saving Earth and protecting the people who need protecting They've come to an understanding that they can do it together. They can do it individually. They're going to argue as they do in the comic books all the time. But I just felt we got that glimpse in this movie. And that's what this movie should have been the bonding of these three people to bring this Justice League together. Like, how do we go out and find a Green Lantern? And, like, again, well, so, to your point. So, so let's, let's kind of switch gears yeah. uh, for a moment. Cause, but it's still relevant because... Um, our villain Steppenwolf, uh, he's made out to be this a- absolute destruction of everything, and yet, uh, without any research, I would have never known this that, that he is basically a minion to Dark Side. Mm-hmm. And From you know, apocalypse. In, in that sense, it kind of makes sense of like, okay, let these three handle Steppenwolf. Oh wait, now Dark Side's pissed. Got to get more people. Right. So it, it's a natural progression in that sense. Um, but but. You know, let's let's talk about Steppenwolf because um, critics seem to agree on this that the villain has just gone awful. Um, I didn't, you know, as far as motive and things like that, I didn't I didn't really understand the the backstory or the motive, and I, and I hate when we're sort of given just like this visual story of what the hell's going on. Um, it was just pure exposition, but but even that, it didn't. Because yeah, I, I had no idea of, that he was a minion to anyone. Um, and what he's trying to achieve, I, I get that he has a gripe against Earth, but why? If you really dig into it deeper, like Superman, Superman hasn't been on Earth for thousands of years. No. So I get it now. There's all of a sudden despair, but there wasn't despair before. Yeah, I mean, according to this DC universe, I mean, you had Man of Steel, which goes right into Batman versus Superman, and then he dies. And then, like, the way I looked at it is. Oh my God! Earth has the savior. He's all powerful. He can kick the ass. he can kick anybody's ass. He's dead. Open season on Earth is the way I took it. Like we can run unopposed. Who's gonna you know? There's nobody there to oppose us. 
I found it very interesting, and I was saying this of the trailers, and we'll talk more about this marketing, but but Steppenwolf wasn't in any of the trailers. Like, they hid that character. And I always wondered, why are you hiding your villain? Because I have absolutely no idea who they were fighting against. And then after seeing him, I'm like, okay. step. Okay. I mean, again, Steppenwolf, a lot like Cyborg. You're, And again, I'm not talking about the DC fans. I know that you know who he is. But to the person who just wants to see a good adventure movie with superheroes who hasn't read a comic book, they're not going to have any idea who Steppenwolf is. And his plight is not unlike anybody else. You talked about it, I remember when we talked about Age of Ultron. His Ooh, goal was... into the archives. Well, by him, because it, it's relevant to this. You know, we even, we even discussed it uh, d- during X-Men Apocalypse. That Apocalypse, all he wanted to do is like, shape earth into his own he wanted to be god and shape earth into his own what he believed it should be right but he was isaac um oscar isaacs is a far better villain as apocalypse and he looked better than than this is siren hines okay he's recognizable i i couldn't figure out if i didn't know who the actor was playing him i would have never figured it out um and he was the motivations again were just very cliche, and why does it always come down to like some physical sense? Whether it be you know Infinity Stones, there's much being touted about these in the Marvel universe. They're 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 they're, they're very uh, important, but we've sort of kind of been geared up to the importance of these Infinity Stones, and now we're just introduced to boxes, the three boxes buried. Whatever, and if you put them together, all hell is gonna break loose. And then this guy Steppenwolf is gonna turn Earth into the what he, you know, to his sandbox. Okay, okay, I've been there, done it, and he was boring, and there was no charisma out of that. I mean, your 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 villain, your heroes need to be, or your villain needs to be able to best your heroes. And that's always what makes a good thing is that your your, your villain should always be up there. Uh, there's a famous saying that your your villain should always be, at the very least, as good as you are, as strong as your hero, uh, as far as a presence on screen. And the CG was so bad. I mean, that just takes you right out of the movie as well. Um, you know. And I want to bring up something that you did say because this is one of the few movies that we actually got to see together. And you said something that was very interesting to me uh, that, that I mulled over the entire weekend. And Phil said, basically, for him, he didn't, ha- he didn't have any ups. You didn't have any peaks or valleys. For you, the movie was just sort of like yeah, yeah, that, well, like which, flatline. No. For a movie like this, and I thought about that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, there's just, you, know, you don't get emotionally invested, uh, invested into this movie. It just sort of kind of plays along. That's you know uh, what I what I especially didn't like was the fact that you know Superman is going to be the savior and I get it he's potentially the strongest one out of all but but they did a good, really good job in Batman v Superman of, of of putting Superman and Batman on pretty much the same level despite one Absolutely. being human one being Kryptonian and so in that regard you, you know I, I get it Bat, Batman's having a uh, existential crisis of he's not needed Superman is needed because hope is needed. But that, you know, 
in that sense, like, uh, I would have loved to see a little bit of dialogue of, like, no, everyone here is needed. Because it didn't seem like, okay, we're all just waiting for Superman to kick this guy's ass. Right. The rest of us, we're basically on holiday because we did our part just to bring back Superman. And yeah, we're good we're, to go. Yeah. We're uh, red herrings in this whole thing. We're just trying to, we're trying to divert attention. Yeah. But eventually, Supes is going to come and save the day, which he does. And then... The movie's over. And and you brought up something else, too. You, you brought up the buttons at the end of the movie. This was like the first time that DC has done this. For, for the longest time, they wanted to avoid doing those after-credit things because they wanted to differentiate themselves from Marvel. Well, you know, then why are you stealing this? Like, well, now you're doing... Now you're putting buttons at the end of movies... Why don't you just follow their pattern, in a sense? Like, I, I get it. I, I get ego involved that you would want to do di- things differently, but if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. And unless it's really great out of the box thinking and how do you and how you can do this, but I think audiences, if you want to grow this outside of a, a fan base, you have to be smarter in the way you introduce the characters. And I don't care that Superman could be a little bit dark. Um, but you're right. He should smile a little bit. He is, you know, truth, justice, the American way. You know, up, up, and away. And well, to I me, his to darkness that. is the fact of, like, like in the last movie, had he just gone... Like, he was supposed to always go out of his way to save people, and people would have been like, you suck, you know, <laughs> you, you, right. you're just causing more harm than good. And he would have been like... Why aren't people understanding this? Like, I'm trying to do good, you know? And, like, no matter what interview he does, like, just take it out of context. Uh, I can't think of something, but we've all seen it where, like, let's say he gives a three-minute interview out of that. They say, uh, you know, uh, some humans are bad. And then, boom, they just cut to uh, Superman said humans are bad. Yeah, well, you know, and the thing is, too, and, and I was somewhat of a fan of Batman versus Superman. I didn't hate it as many other people did. I thought that, again, I thought that was the extended version gave it life. It did. It really did. Um, It still is, is not without its problems, but to me, one of my favorite scenes in Batman versus Superman was the scene at that courthouse where Lex Luthor just obliterates it. Right. And you just see Superman there realizing a, he was caught in a trap. And there was nothing he can do to save people. And people got pissed at him, you know. And he and he did what he believed in his gut and his heart. He did the right thing by showing up. And, you know, many people died because of his actions. So I was liking that play. I was liking how, you know, and then, of course, Lex Luthor is going to play upon... Um, how do we deem him a god? Why? He's just from another... He's, he's a foreigner. And he's a god just because he's all-powerful? What if he turns that power against us? And Batman himself, who's always skeptical about people... You know, Batman has a contingency upon a contingency <laughs> upon contingency. That was his biggest thing. Like, we don't know who this guy is. Look at the destruction that he caused in Metropolis, for crying out loud. And so I, those are the aspects of Batman versus Superman that, that, that I enjoyed. Um, and I didn't think it was necessarily devoid of much humor. I liked how they introduced Diana and, and Wonder Woman. The CG, I felt, was far better put to use in that movie than here. Um, it's still a mess, but at least they were working on certain themes that they could have taken into a, a next movie as the three of them together. 
they were the seeds of the Justice League. And I felt that, yes, they're in this movie, they are the seeds, but it was just thrown at us too quickly. And movie-going audiences are forced to learn about new characters they've never heard of before when we're just starting to get used to the, the three main characters. Um, yeah. So... Let me ask you, the, the, uh, this is editing involved, but mm-hmm. also uh, ties into everything we've been talking about. Uh, they, they made a very conscious decision. There was a rule. You, you can't go over two hours. Mm-hmm. The clock, this movie clocks in a, an hour and 59. Uh, very deliberate. Um, do you think that's part of the problem? Or is it to the benefit of the movie? You and I have talked about, well, we've all, not just you and I, Marissa's been here, the entire anatomy of a movie, we've talked about this a lot. Long movies don't upset me so long as they're good, because I've seen many short movies that have upset me. There's a petition going out, I don't know if you read about this this morning, but I did, and apparently there is a ton of deleted scenes or a ton of footage that Zack Snyder had shot that wasn't that is not in Justice League. So it appeared as if there would have been a much longer movie. Could it make it a better movie? I'm not entirely sure. Not if you're going off of the same CG that was in this movie. Two hours is fine. I don't know what they could have put in there that wouldn't have been dulling exposition. So it's hard it's hard to say. Will there be a Blu-ray? I don't know. I mean, again, this movie was touched by tragedy and very serious tragedy. Uh, you know, when you when your director Zack Snyder and your person who's pretty much your point man, he leaves, uh, and you bring in Joss Whedon, and I understand that, and they give well, him more just money. The, well, it wasn't oh. just because it was you know his wife. Right. Is the producer. the producer, so it's right. you're losing two big components, not just the Absolutely. direction. Absolutely, and I don't even know what that does to a person. Um, so, and I've had loss, but not that kind of a loss. Uh, I know how it's affected me, but I, you know. Well, you also I didn't can't. have to deal with it publicly. True. You know, and I mean, you, whatever things you've said that that you right you've chosen to put out right and and but i respect what Zack snyder and his wife have done they they've become they've gone into this seclusion as they should and they should be left alone Zack snyder will come out he'll he'll, he'll, he'll come out that's why i can't blame it on him i can't blame this on joss whedon um but it 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 does appear that there were a lot of edits we'll we'll talk too a little bit later you know when we talk marketing in the trailering i mean apparently there were numerous scenes that were in the trailer the theatrical trailer that never made its appearance uh in this movie and we talked about that during the snowman and other movies as far as marketing goes like mother um so it 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 would be interesting if there is a Zack Snyder cut to come out on home entertainment in one way, shape or form. Let us not forget, you know, um, uh, Superman, the Christopher Reeve Superman. Okay. Richard Donner was able to go back and recut Superman two to what he wanted that movie to be. Okay. And his cut is different than the Richard Lester cut. There's a whole, you know, if we ever talk about those two Superman movies, I think it would be a great show, but 
maybe Warner Brothers, if there's a way that Zack Snyder can re-edit this movie to give it more breathing room. It's like you said, that Batman vs. Superman, the Zack Snyder cut, explains a lot more. Um, I don't know if I'd have wanted to see it two and a half plus hour movie. And that was two hours and almost 50 minutes. Yeah. So maybe once this is all done and the Snyders are able to be in a better place, uh, maybe he will be able to revisit Justice League and maybe make a version that's more palpable. I I don't know. Uh, But two hours is a good, two hours is a good guideline. Don't you? I mean, right? I, I think that putting an edict out is try to make this under two hours. Because I, I forget how long Thor was, but it was two hours and ten minutes, fifteen. That's, and that's that's good. That's that's fine. You know, I don't mind that edict going out. Uh, I don't mind either. It's just that when you when you look at it time wise, you've got you know you've got all these characters. Plus, not to mention you know you have you have Lois Lane. You have uh, Commissioner Gordon. You have um, Ma Kent. Yes, a Martha. Can't forget oh, Martha. Martha. Good no. old Martha. Um, and of course, you have the villain. And technically, you're also subplotting a little bit of Atlantis and a little bit of uh, the Amazonians. And so, you know, you and a little bit about Cyborg's backstory and tiny fraction of well, then a flashback story with his dad in prison. Yeah. They were putting a lot into this movie. So, you know, it, just by all these parts coming together, it dilutes every single one of them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, you know, and that, yeah, it's, it, it's just, I it, it, it see a common thread with, with not just the DC movies, but a lot of movies in general, just too much in um, when it didn't need to. Yeah. And I think there are also... Uh, Listen, they were short for time. You know, having having Joss Whedon come in at that at that moment in time when the movie was for the most part pretty much shot, and he came in and he wrote. Uh, they had to rewrite a lot. They added more Wonder Woman. You know, and that too is another. You know, I I get it. I get that Wonder Woman was a hit. So, ooh, we need to put more Wonder Woman now in this movie. I, I more Wonder Woman in this movie to me as I'm watching it. This isn't going to get the little girls in to see Justice League just because she's in it more. Wonder Woman was a hit with everybody, including women and teenage girls, because of what she stood for, how she accomplished it, and she did it. She did it as a woman. This movie actually took a few steps back. She, yeah, she does it as a woman, but it's not her movie. And by throwing more of her in there, that just seems to be a desperate plea for like, well, we want more. We're going to, we got a desperate plea to try to grab that audience because we want them to come on over. And unfortunately, I think for that audience who might've come on over, it's not going to do any great justice that it only, I think it only hurts. Now, now the next Wonder Woman movie really has to dig its way out of Justice League and make it back to what that first feeling was. That, that we all loved in that movie. so And I think that's where they should start. You know, we've had the rumors about Ben Affleck that he's out as Batman. He's not going to do it anymore. He was supposed to direct the solo Batman movie as well as star. That's not going to happen. Then the rumors were flying about. 
and 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 Ben Affleck has deny 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 I'm still playing Batman I just needed to take a step back uh focus on the character somebody else will direct and I don't even know what's going on I don't know what's going on in the DC universe other than I know for a 100% sure they've already got Wonder Woman to slated and dated that well, I know for a fact um so if if we're going to tie into the greater scope of the actual world. Um, a lot of people are saying, and we've sort of been talking about this with the, the latest slates of movies, but this one in particular, there's just so many things tied into it. Um, and forgive me, uh, I have to pull up that page, but um, Ben Affleck has been accused of everything going on in Hollywood. I, I don't yes. need to touch on that, but yes. th- as far as this movie's concerned, um, Ben Affleck has been touched by this. Um, and as far as the um, Wonder Woman two sequel, uh, you know, the fact that Brett Ratner is, you know, his company Rat Pack is, you know, producing this, um, she doesn't want to come back if they're attached as producers. Now Warner Brothers has said they're not going to renew their contract with Rat Pack, but you know they're attached with this movie. Um, is that in any way, shape, or form affect uh, this? Or is it just like... Because here's the thing. I'm, I'm sure Warner Brothers is going to hang their hat on this to a degree. Obviously not the right thing necessarily. Right. But it also... Just at the end of the day, you know, granted we could talk about that stuff from an objective viewpoint. But also that doesn't negate the fact that this movie... If, if it was good, it'd be a different story. It'd be like, well, you know what? The movie's good. It's a little bit tough, you know. Mm-hmm. You're tying in real world events to... And, and hindering a great movie, but sure. you know what? It's not a great movie, and so it just wore even worse since then. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, so I, I just, outside of there being a Wonder Woman 2, I, I, I don't know what direction they're going to continue to go on from here. Um, you know, we there there are aspects of this movie that, that we should probably talk about um, a little bit. You know, like uh, costuming, uh, maybe a little bit of the production design. Uh, you know, which I think are important because we were introduced to some new bat vehicles that were that were pretty cool. Um, but you know, uh, going back to costume and Michael Wilkinson, uh, you know, he he's the costume designer to this, and you know, they were having you know to that basically. He goes on, when I design these big superhero films, he goes, I really put pressure on myself to use new technologies that might not have been available even a year or two years ago. And I found, I found that this was interesting because, number one, I, I enjoy this bat suit that Batman has. It sort of harkens back to uh, the Dark Knight Returns. Uh, it's the kind of suit, especially the logo, when in that movie there is a big fisticuffs between Batman and Superman. And I like that suit. Um, so they basically... Uh, Superman's suit in this movie even <laughs> looked a little bit different, as did Wonder Woman, which I uh, talked about. Uh, the Flash had that... He's the, you know, the, the, the Scarlet Speedster. Uh, I, you know, his costume was pretty cool. Cyborg, you know, with the CG added, he, he actually looked all right. Aquaman looked fine. But what I appreciate is that they actually use 3D rendering programs to recreate uh, Wilkinson's illustrations. So he would illustrate, they'd put it into a, a 
3D digital technology during the manufacturing process. And then they actually, I found this cool because in all the times we talk costuming, I haven't heard of this done, but they literally scanned all of the actors um, so they could apply the designs directly onto them. And it was all, it's like a digital mannequin mm-hmm. <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. And I think that's, so either as full-size mannequins or in the computer, we use 3D printers to uh, to make elaborate elaborate costume elements and molds. Um, and then they cast costume ele- elements in urethane, which we discovered can be made super rigid or super soft. So depending which part of the soup it's being used, uh, suit it's being used for. So they use this technology, and I think that it's actually sort of kind of cool. That our characters were literally scanned. They were able to put and fit the costumes on them. Um, the only thing is, is I wonder, like, you know, I wonder some sizes could change. <laughs> Whether they get maybe a little bit bigger or, or smaller doing to their wor- workout regimens because they got to fit into the suits. But I do find that the, the fact that they made digital mannequins of these folks um, was pretty cool. I, I really appreciate it. Like uh, to me, that's sort of. I would have loved to have seen that. I would have loved to have seen this guy's illustrations become three D models, yeah. set within their scanned images. And like, how do you have them pose? Like that to me is uh, that to me is very very fascinating. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, certainly using technology in the in the good way. And I, yeah. you know, hopefully we'll be able to see more of that. And uh, you know, eventually, what I'm excited about is I hope that trickles down into indie movies because I'm sure that wasn't cheap. No, you know, if you talk right. about where 300 million dollars went, I'm sure, sure. Por- you know, portion of that went to that because mm-hmm. um, it's still in, in its infancy overall. Yeah, and and it's interesting. We talked about Wonder Woman. Uh, Wilkinson also uh, worked. Um, he he worked with. Uh, uh, just trying to find her name, uh, the costume designer to Wonder Woman, Lindy. And, she, you know, Lindy Hemming is her name. And the two of them collaborated together. And what I didn't really... I knew that there was a difference between Justice League and Wonder Woman, but even if you watch Batman vs. Superman, her costume is different than that, <coughs> too. So she, you know, her costume is essentially the same, but it's visual continuity that they have that's actually different costumes. That, that she had on. And I liked the fact that he went back to this Lindy uh, so that, okay, what did you do? Because it did work so well, I felt, in Wonder Woman. Um, so in the And, and we, we also get to see a brand new Batsuit in, in the third act of Justice League. Uh, and it was referred to as the tactical suit. Um, so it was high, higher level battle we get into the more serious and, and the suit is more armored and more tricked out. So, you know, they had to design all of this. Uh, and again, I, I, I like Batman's suit in this. I think it's really cool. Um, but I also like the iterations like of, of Christian Bale's Batman. That was Christopher Nolan um, and such. So, uh, yeah, I really, and you know, I like, I like the, the, what they did for detail. And again, I even noticed that Superman's suit was different as well. And it had a higher vibrancy to it than I think it had in the last movies, even. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a really cool suit, and I think that they did a lot of 
I thought that, that, yeah, I thought it looked really good as far as costuming went. Um, so, you know, and um, go ahead. Well, no, as far as uh, as far as Superman was concerned, it's interesting. Uh, like, it, it, it's going to be an interesting kind of uh, thing to discover how much was reshot, how much wasn't, uh, because part of you know, people like Henry Cavill going back into this, he couldn't shave his mustache. And so, right. you know, when you sort of look at that, they had the CGI out of mustache. So you're probably going to want to be on wider takes so that way you don't have to spend too much detail on it. Right. Um, and probably you're going to make things a little bit darker so that way because darkness masks things overall. And so I wonder, you know, just by forcing their hands in down that route, how much Superman was changed just because they you know, it made things easier. Yeah. You know? And, and I'll just be curious <laughs> if Warner Brothers, their home entertainment, actually their whole unit will decide whether or not that they'll allow that footage to, 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 to be released. That, I mean... I mean, it's like everyone knows about it. Yeah. And again, if you, you want to give fan service and people to buy the disc or download or whatever, whatever your choice of, of watching it, I don't know, in, unless there's contractual monies involved uh, for, for releasing that footage. I, I just don't know. Um, but we did see a couple of other cool things in this movie uh, as well, and they, they seem to be <laughs> geared more towards Batman. You know, he always seems to get the coolest toys, like the Nightcrawler, that four-legged, the four-legged tank uh, that he used. Um, it... it, it it was built because it is like a tank sort of kind of thing. It sort of reminded me, uh, believe it or not, I thought back to Ghost in the Shell. Remember yeah. that? Remember that thing that, yeah. that they have to face off at at the end? Um, so while much of the machine was made in post, there was a practical skeleton was built for stunts. And each version of the Nightcrawler featured a steel frame made, made from a jig with aluminum sheathing skin uh, and an interior made of uh, honeycomb foam called F-Board. And uh, these kept the crafts lightweight, but as strong as possible. And in the middle seat uh, was, was a seat, and in the middle was a seat for Batman. So I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, but the largest vehicle, the largest vehicle in Batman's uh, mobile arsenal in this movie was something that they called the Flying Fox. Now, what's cool is, is that um, there are actually like specs of what this flying fox it's uh, is as fully realized um, what it's supposed to be. It's a hybrid aircraft, which catch this has the, supposed to have the capability of a bomber and the maneuverability of a jet fighter. So it's supposed to reach speeds of nearly a thousand miles per hour. This is a physicist, right? With an attack altitude of, catch this, 50,000 feet, <laughs> okay? Um, it also has vertical takeoff and landing, and it, you know, and, and it consists of three large-scale <laughs> levels uh, and can carry even the newly augmented Batmobile inside. So within this universe, that's what this thing is supposed to, uh, that's what it's supposed to accomplish, and uh, but the real deal is, is that uh, the Flying Fox, the interior was built on a soundstage with the exterior built in post. Uh, Patrick Totopoulos, who gained fame for doing uh, the creatures and such in uh, Independence Day, um, 
you know, he was the guy that put all this together and he like he wanted to make a bomber that looked like a jet, but he wanted it to also have the maneuverability of a Spitfire. So um, I just like how it's like when you like the Starship Enterprise, like it's not a real ship, but they approach it as if it's a real ship. So they give it these specs and what it can accomplish and what it can do in space. I like how they're thinking that way with Batman's vehicles. It's all fully realized. It makes it more real because they did look sort of kind of cool, you know, I felt. So, um, you know, and then um, we noticed a brand new car in this movie that Bruce Wayne was driving, which I think, and again, on doing the research, it's sort of kind of cool. So it was this Mercedes-Benz, AMG Vision Gran Turismo. And Zack Snyder is responsible for this. He saw this electric remote-controlled concept car and thought Bruce Wayne would have this car. And so when they went to go get this car to put it into the movie, um, it didn't exist. It's just a concept. <laughs> there was no such car. Um, but, however, uh, Mercedes agreed to build another unit the car as is is a concept car too was so small in design that ben affleck himself couldn't even fit in the car (laughs) so mercedes came out and they just built this car 10 percent larger with a working interior and doors to accommodate the needs of the filmmakers so um it still wouldn't have an engine drivetrain or chassis but picture vehicle coordinator alex king had a solution for that and he uh said you know for the car without an engine he and his team built an engine without a car <laughs> more, more more specifically they would custom build a rig to drive the car so king put a whole front wheel drive engine and a power unit which can then be mounted via tubular chassis to the rear of the vgt while the driver and driver pod controlling engine and steering could be mounted anywhere in the rig that's what it kind of cool. That's what $300 million get you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely like the gadgets uh, from Batman. And, you know, I wish story-wise they exploited that a little bit more. Because yeah. that, that was his his conundrum was, okay, well, what's my purpose in this? Is Is it really just to assemble everyone, get Superman alive, and then basically retire? You know, or just kind of now be a head figure for the Justice League? Or... It wasn't really fully explored, but it's like, no, you have all these cool things. You have all these ideas, so there is a place for you within this. Yeah, and so in going back to the other thing that was interesting to me was this version, Justice League's version of the Batcave, which after Batman versus Superman, um, they, they actually dismantled the entire set. Um, but before they did that, um, they did scan it in its entirety, so which I think is pretty cool. But only portions of that physical set were recreated. Then they were extended by post, or in post, I should say, by Desjardins' visual effects team. And so to house the enormous flying fox, that hangar uh, set had to be one of the film's largest, approximately 100 feet long, 23 feet high, and then visual effects extended it to a scale of about 400 to 500 feet long <laughs> and around 80 feet high. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, that's always 
that kind of movie magic is you know is is pretty is pretty cool as well and how much they do on this movie in post yeah you know so uh you know and i think i think in part to the history of justice league is 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 somewhat fascinating because it's gone through so many iterations i mean george miller yeah, it was set to be even back, back in 2007. Yeah, like it goes back a decade that they've been wanting and trying to make a Justice League movie. And in part, a lot of this was set from not the Henry Cavill Superman, but uh, uh, Brian's. Yeah, Brandon ben, Roth. Brandon Roth's uh, Brian Singer Superman and wanting to do a Justice League movie, which, you know, maybe had they done. Like, if you're going to reverse engineer, just start off with the Justice League movie, (laughs) right? Just start off that way. (laughs) Bring the team together. We we already know, again, people know who Batman, people are aware of Batman, people are aware of Superman, people have a decent awareness of Wonder Woman, right? Bring the team and then faction off. And then bring them in. That would be a a, a case of reverse engineering that might have worked. Uh, had they ten years ago done that, but ten years ago the budget and special effects weren't up to even Miller's standards of what he wanted to film uh, and how to film that movie. So um, it's just very interesting. But even so, it just you know as CGI t- continues to get better and better, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, the most the most successful movies we've talked about are the ones who use it as a means to extend a tool. You know, oh, as opposed to, oh, let's just create everything from scratch. Sure. Um, and the more you force yourself into, like, I think that's part of the problem is you have a $300 million budget. You're going to, I'm not going to say waste it because uh, I don't think it's necessarily wasted, but, but it makes you feel like you're invincible in mm-hmm. a sense. Like, okay, do what we need to do um, rather than challenge yourself creatively to, okay, well, how do we get around this, quote, technical hurdle? And instead, right. all right, well, why don't we use practical elements to do X, Y, and Z? Right. And then, you know, what well, with the leftover money that we have, we'll, we'll put into the visual effects of it. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I would like to see more of that and um, as superhero movies continue. Because I think I, I really, you know, uh, people are saying, you know, we could talk about uh, superhero exhaustion, franchise fatigue, whatever. When is the bubble going to pop? And, and you know, I don't think it's the I don't think it's the fault of these movies. I just think the approach needs to change. I don't think it's people not wanting to see movies or like there's a fatigue. It's just like you know the approach has to be a little bit different. That's yeah, all. they do want to see these movies as as proven by movies such as Thor, as proven by movies such as Wonder Woman, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, to an extent. Oh, Spider Man Homecoming was one of the biggest box office movies of the year people were really jonesing to see that many many people like that movie you know more than i did which is which is fine um there there are because there are fans but part of the reason why many of these work is because the movies go up and beyond the fandom it's not lip service just for the fans they have they make it accessible for families that's the other key thing too you know you mentioned the opening shot of this movie, and it was a little boy talking to Superman. Mm-hmm. And that's who the audience can cater to without being too childish. And I think 
That's how movies like Thor, that's how movies like Wonder Woman, you see, because it really does have that cross-section. You know, you can play, you can bring a younger adult or a younger kid into the movie, and that little kid, whether it be male or female, can be inspired. And kids like comic books, too, because they like the superheroism of it all, the flying, the fighting, all that. And yeah, well, but, but you can do it in such a way that, that it involves the adults. Like, you don't have to dumb it down for kids, but they are a good audience, and, and many families do go to these types of movies. Well, I think with superhero, this is, it, it, there's a simple enough solution. You have to have, you can call it con- the controlling idea, you can tr- call, it, call it the theme, whatever you want, the message. But I think, you know, the flying and the fighting and so forth, that's all in service of, okay, what is the, what is the ultimate message? True. And, you know, I, I, I talked about it with Thor. I didn't, the reason I, like, okay, it has a lot of humor and has a lot of great visual, uh, visual things, um, not just the effects, but in general. But the ideas never really got off the ground. It just kept, you know, that movie kept just saying, and this isn't a spoiler by any means, that's what superheroes do. Right. Um, This, Batman v Superman presents a lot of ideas about the God complex. Okay, great. But what did you ultimately say about it? This, it it didn't have a message. And I think, you know, Wonder Woman, the reason why it is so wonderful is it did have a message. Right. You know? Uh, And so... You know that that's why that's why I get down on these movies, and I think that's what's gonna. You know, you, you can wonder all you want, but it really has, it's just get a good message across. Sure, and then have the the fighting and all that. It, it's in service of that message, right? Absolutely. You know, I'll ultimately, I don't it's, know what the message of this movie is. It's the inspiration that yeah. that the heroes can instill upon younger folk. That the adults, as we watch it, we're gonna get it. Um, but there's a fun involved. There's an entertainment value. Um, intrinsic to that too and you're right I don't know exactly what the message to this movie was um, so I don't know um, it's, more like it's not unity it's not we, not we really. needed hope it like it's it, it, it's glimpses of it but it doesn't solidify it exactly and that's what the, it, you, that's what the Justice League stands for they are supposed to be the pinnacle and they are supposed to be using people not just from earth but it is a unity of the green lantern core of martian manhunter we're bringing in the galaxy's best to the justice league was meant to protect not just earth but where other planets may need their services as well you have a kryptonian so it was it's that unity um, that is in, it's intrinsically important because each one of them, although, you know, Batman Bruce Wayne can always be pessimistic, but he does fight the good fight for the people who can't do it for themselves. So um, some other interesting tidbits behind the production of the movie. Um, they used over six sound stages uh, at Warner Brothers Studios in Leviston, just northwest of London. Now, I believe these are the same studios in which uh, in London they house uh, Harry Potter yes. world, which is uh, if you're ever in London and you have the opportunity, Phil and everybody else is listening, take that Harry Potter tour. Uh, if you're not a huge Harry Potter fan, it could change you. I, it could change your mind because 
It really is. Those sound stages are, are, are pretty amazing over there. So the production numbered up to upwards of 200 people. So they brought in hundreds of campers uh, because they did, they did actually go. Um, they did some location shoots. Um, one notable, uh, Old Bailey in London, where Wonder Woman foils that attack, uh, the terrorist attack. Uh, the biggest location shoot by far, though, was the fishing village of Jupavik in northwest Iceland, where principal photography wrapped. That's where Aquaman uh, is from. So they captured the required sequences, shot 1,000 feet above the village, using three helicopters to airlift approximately 36 cast and crew to the top, along with necessary equipment, including a crane. So... Um, you know, I wanted to ask a couple of things, too. Humor. You know, the DC Universe has been criticized greatly because of its lack thereof, humor lack thereof. What did you think about the humor here? Um, I mean, it, it was singular in the sense that it came from The Flash, at least the intentional stuff, I, you know, um, I don't need uh, Clark's mom saying uh, Lois Lane is the thirstiest reporter out there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I get that that even too was intentional, but dear Lord. Um, (laughs) But anyway, you know, we we talked, I'll I'll recycle what I talked about with Daddy's Home because I doubt the audience cross over that much. Um, (laughs) No, but um, I think that I don't mind DC not having humor. And I think part of part of marvel what is actually hurting them is too much humor because it's humor for the sake of humor it's it's um rather than let a moment be quote cheesy and i think a better word actually is emotionally driven um they undercut it with humor and you know i i I liked what what they did with the flash i think it's just part of his natural character um especially because he's somewhat of a teenager still and so forth um but i don't think the, the the problem with the DC movies is not that it's humorless. It's that it's just bland. So, you know, I don't think the solution is, oh, great, insert humor, and we'll have a great movie. That's, no. no. You're missing the point if that's what, what this is about. Yeah. Agreed. And, and you're right. Um, Ezra Miller as The Flash. Um, the scene when he was, I believe it was in a bank line, and uh, there was the jerk behind him. And he's like, can I borrow your Sharpie? <laughs> and he quickly drew the, the, the glass and mustache. I thought that was really funny. But, you know, there is one thing. When we're going to talk about production value in this film, right? Let's talk about The Flash for a second. All I could, I, you know, I just couldn't get out of my head. You know, we're seeing The Flash Force cinematically for the first time, I believe, right? And I, I just, I couldn't help but think think when we're talking about humor in in a movie i couldn't help but think of quicksilver's appearances in the last two x-men movies in which his speedster ability was done to great effect it had a style to it and each scene had its humor to it and quicksilver you okay there was a music soundtrack over when he's saving people or fight. They were humorous. We hadn't seen, uh, hadn't seen that done before. And I was like going over here. They just seemed to have him on some sort of a rig where he was like almost marionette ish 
running. Uh, I didn't find that the speed force was anything fantastic. Um, yeah, he had his, uh, you know, the, the, the lightning and stuff, which is part, like when you read in the comic books, right? But the, well, comics are able to get, and they just weren't able to translate, in my opinion anyways, greatly. Like when you see Flash in the comics and they have that lightning, there's, you can see the motion, even though it's a pose, right? But there's this great motion, and you can see that. And over here, I mean, I did find it funny that they um, pitting pitting Flash against Superman, uh, which I if if uh, in you DC comic fans, you I know you will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm asking for, the, for to be corrected if I am wrong, politely asking. I believe Superman wins by like a fraction. Of a millisecond, of a millisecond. I believe he wins the race. I believe. Yeah. Well, there, there's... Uh, just from the quick research I did in terms of that, there's at least, from what they named, at least five comics that have gone to, you know, do that. Now, they didn't actually say who went. You know, I think it's it's just always been a toss-up. So maybe he yeah. won once, um, but it tends to be a draw. Yeah, and, and a lot of the DC fans are going to reference a, a comic, a Flash comic series, uh, you're going to know this because I, th I thought it was really well done called Flashpoint. Uh, so if you're looking to try to read a really good uh, Flash comic that involves the Justice League, in fact, too, Flashpoint is, uh, is, is very well done. But it's all right. So humor, we, I talked about the CG and the way this movie looked. I, again... $300 million. We talked about murder in the Orient Express, which is $55 million. I mean, it, compared, it just looks so much better and they had less money. I, I don't know where they went wrong or how they could have gone so wrong. Well, I think, uh, I mean, you, you, got, uh, you got a bunch of people's salaries to pay. Um, but, but overall, I do think it, it's just this idea that uh, we have $300 million. We can do whatever we want. And that's what's going to say, you know, that money's the answer when um, actor, filmmakers like Robert Rodriguez has always said this, like, you know, he, he challenges him. The reason why he has freedom is because he's always challenged himself to use the minimal sure. budget he can and to figure things out creatively. Now, you know, granted, uh, that doesn't mean that they didn't just work and they were like, oh, money's going to save everything. Like, there's work put into it, right. but um, too much reliance on some of those things. Yeah, I, and that sort of, you know, but, but it takes you out of the movie when it's like this. There was a scene that took place on a dock, and they were getting on that bat boat thing, and mm. Jeremy Irons, as, uh, as, as Alfred, was on the dock, and it was so clear that that was a CG Jeremy. Like, it was just everything about that movie on the bigger screen, all of its flaws were really exposed. Um, and And... and it's just, it, it's hard. I don't know how you back that movie because if you're saying this is a good movie looking as it is, you can't judge other movies. Like, because this movie really did not look good. And there's no argument that, you know, you could, there, there could be a really good argument, a good debate as to which movie's better, Batman versus Superman or Justice League. And I think there, I think there's already starting to be, because many people have said that this is better than Batman versus Superman. That to me is valid. I mean, I personally choose Batman versus Superman. But as far as it's just being a good movie and looking good, I, I, you can't, it's, no. 
<laughs> and 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 it's and it's sad. Um, no, it just it just really doesn't. Well, I think ultimately they just they just sort of ran out of time on the clock. Is what Could've. it seems like it came down to. Sure. Um, and it's unfortunate. I mean, it, at the end of the day, all movies have their you know release date, and the bigger the movie, the more pressure to yeah, you have to release it on and, time. And we're going into a very uh, well, it's very popular movie going time of season right now. We're going into Thanksgiving, so at the very least, uh, Justice League is going to have this week, which many schools are already off. And many schools, if not all schools, will be done by Wednesday, half day for Thanksgiving. And then you'll have uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, you know, for big box office numbers. Um, it'll hang in there. I know that uh, it, it, it didn't perform well as well as uh, they wanted it to. In fact, um, going into the week, uh, tracking had indicated 110 plus million dollars going in literally going into the weekend starting at Thursday night Friday night Saturday then it dropped down to 96 million dollars and uh, my uh, I've recently the information that I have recently is that it actually did 94 million dollars that's not good Um, well I mean well it depends too because I think that there are movies out there that if they did $94 million on opening weekend, they'd be happy. But people call $94 million dismal. And again, I think you're just taking it to, that's a $300 million price tag, and you're only doing 94 in compared to other DC movies, which have, which have hit the six-digit, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the pro- But I think calling saying- dismal is a little bit over... Well, it, it's not good. Dismal. Well, it has so to be strange. relative, and, and a lot of people are saying, you know, according to um, some sites, the break-even point is six hundred million. I I'd heard even I had read even higher, but yeah. So you know, when when you got to get to that number, yeah, I, I, I if you're making a two million dollar movie. I'd be thrilled as, as can be. I'd be like, I'd be high fiving. I'd spend a million just on drinks with the crew. Right. But yeah, it's a whole different uh, scenario. Um, before we break down numbers, I want to I want to go back real fast. Yeah. Um, I want to talk music because sure. um, Hans yeah. Zimmer essentially says he's retiring from the superhero business. Right. Uh, which. <laughs> If there ever was a genre for him, I feel like that's that's where you need the bomb back. Yeah, really, you know, and he's right. made a name for himself there. He has. Um, but Danny Elfman returns to the stage after uh, quite a hiatus, you know, since since Batman. Um, and so uh, here we have some of the music. Yeah. What, what did you think? I thought, uh, you know, I saw Danny Elfman's name as the credits uh, came up, and I was, uh, uh, I don't know, we got the little Batman theme when they they look at the. Um, um, uh, whatever we're going to call it, the the the, the, the bat signal in the sky. Mm-hmm. But but apart from that, you know, we we got a little bit of Wonder Woman's theme, but it wasn't. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't what I've gotten accustomed to from Danny Elfman. You know, I agree. And and Danny Elfman, in his own right, is a very good composer. He has made like you know, his works with Tim Burton are are <laughs> you know he's made some iconic themes that you would just recognize whether it's 
Batman theme, Beetlejuice theme. Uh, you know, he, can't he, forget Desperate Housewives. Right, I know that's not that, the Tim Burton, well, but, but but well, Nightmare if I Before may, Christmas. Quickly, guys, yeah, from the booth. My favorite yeah, hey. underrated score of all time is the Big Fish score. The Big Fish, yeah, which is also Danny Elfman. I think it's yep. just gorgeous. Uh-huh. I just had to say that he works best. That no, that's I. That that's a good one. That's a good call. I mean, he works best when he's with uh, Danny Elfman. Um. I was disappointed to hear the Batman theme from the Michael Keaton Batmans. It 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 just you're striving so hard to create a new identity for these superheroes. I mean that that's what they've been doing. That's why we get a darker Superman. So we're getting this kind of this Wonder Woman, and this is why we're getting you know that Batman in that bat suit. He deserves his own theme. I mean, I'm sorry, like. Don't give me a throwback from the Michael Keaton. In those movies, there was a style. Like, whether you... Okay, go ahead. Argue with me that those look like a set, too. Yeah, but that was... That that was um, Tim Burton's... That was his creativeness. Like, that's He's what he wanted. He's very gothic, yeah. He's sure. goth. And that was, that was his goal, to make... Have it look a certain way. I can't say that if you're going into this kind of a big budgeted movie, especially when you're going up against a Marvel universe whose special effects are really good, don't tell me that that's what you're trying to accomplish here because, again, that's $300 million. Um, It sort of saddened me, actually, that he used that theme for this just come up with a new th- we're, we're rebranding this is a new batman identity he's supposed to be different even from chris nolan's batman don't harken back to the michael keaton tim burton movies to be honest i didn't i didn't even really hear it the first time around mm-hmm. uh so i was you know in, a, in an interesting way i didn't even know because yeah. it is so iconic the fact that i missed it because it just I, I was shocked i was like oh Interesting. Interesting yeah, choice. and if and if you can find it too, if you are soundtrack aficionados and you love a good soundtrack, uh, the bat the, uh, there is a full version of the Tim Burton Batman soundtrack of all of Danny Elfman's score through that. Oh, it's it's great to listen to. It really is. It's 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 awesome. Um, so that that's my thought on the score. It was it's there. A shame. Yeah, it's a shame. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's transition back to numbers and reception. Um, overall, uh, you know, I think, I think we're on par with a lot of the critics, um, which summarize they're saying thin plot, CGI, and weak willing. Um, performances, not the problem, you know. So. Yeah. But, you know, there, there is one important aspect when we talk about the numbers and reaching that goal, right? It, it opened up worldwide, not just at a theater near you, but a theater near everybody around this, um, you know, little blue marble that we call Earth. Uh, 185 million foreign tally, which accounted for 65, let's just say 66% of the gross. So worldwide, it's done about 300 million. It's 281. I'm rounding up. Mm-hmm. So that goal is a little more attainable. Depending on how, when they start to spread it out, uh, foreign and other foreign markets, we'll see. You know, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, you would mention it's it's, it's a tough goal. It's, it's a tough goal, um, to say the least, uh, to do. 
So, um, but you know, I want to bring up since since you talk about critics, mm-hmm. okay. So thirty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it got a B plus on CinemaScore, which again there was a big disparity between critics and the audiences. And let's just say that the audiences this opening weekend, many of the DC fans who I think are very starved that they they want they want their movies to be as good as as Marvel. Marvel. And and I do think that the Marvel people, I mean, these aren't just tied I think they can coexist. <laughs> like you shouldn't just have to be a Marvel fan. I think that you can see you should be able to go see DC and DC fans I'm sure will go and enjoy Marvel movies. But B plus to me, I don't, well, for me, it's it's rather high. But I, I want to talk about I want to talk about film criticism for a second, and 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 I want to talk about like Rotten Tomatoes and its aggregate and how it gets its its information. Because here's something that I want I want to read you a review. I want to read you a review if I can find it. Okay. All right. Let me... uh, I did find it. It's just loading. Okay. I'm going to read you the the headline of this review. Justice League is rough, uneven, and downright ugly at times. This is the first sentence. Justice League is rough, uneven, and downright ugly at times. How many stars do you think that review would garner? Uh, let's say out of five, I think uh, two and a half. Almost four stars. That's like a pretty much... I mean, I saw that and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how does that happen? Like, how does a review start off? That's... At best, you, when you start off that way, at best, that's a two-star review. But yet this website finds it in his heart to give it like a four-and-a-half-star review. And I'm like, how, how, do you, how do you justify that when you start off so horribly? That's just not one, two, three, three-and-a-half stars downright ugly gets three and a half stars for an aggregate that would i mean to me that's not a fresh review <laughs> you know, it's not fresh um i don't know T- to me it's very uh it's very very interesting uh, as to how they pick that and um so uh yeah. you know and we can talk about marketing um well, let's uh to- yeah let's let's compress some of this stuff because we got to Sure. We don't sure. want to uh, overstay our welcome too no. much. But um, all right. So, well, I, I want to say this to wrap up Rotten Tomatoes. Um, a lot of people are, are criticizing it for the fact, like, um, last time around with Batman v Superman, they said uh, the Rotten Tomato score killed it and prevented people from going. So, um, Rotten Tomatoes, which is uh, largely owned by Warner Brothers, they held off the score. And so, there's controversy that Warner Brothers didn't release the score until way later in the game. Um. Anyway, uh, well, Warner Brothers put out. A, not only did they hold off the score, but they also put out a review embargo. Mm-hmm. Reviews weren't allowed to come out to I believe twenty four hours prior to the movie, 
Um, and the Rotten Tomatoes score, I believe it was the same thing, or the Rotten Tomatoes score, the full Rotten Tomatoes score is to be released day of release. So I just found that that, you know, to be very, very fascinating and interesting. Uh, it's, it's usually not a good sign. Well, here's the thing. that I, I don't think it came from that. I think they were legitimately, especially when we've talked about the Rotten Tomatoes affecting um, things in a negative way versus like the movie actually being somewhat good. I think the fact that it has a B-plus on cinema score, I think they legitimately just wanted to try to give it a shot of, on its own without mm-hmm. people being influenced. Um, it just, it's just unfortunate in that regard. Like, you know, they just can't get many things right because even right. that blew up in their face. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... You know, and, and they spent a lot in marketing this. Yes, indeed. So yeah. let's talk there. Yeah. Um, you have uh, you have a whole list of scenes that appeared in the trailer but yeah. never actually made it to screen. Which goes back to what we were saying earlier about different cuts and things that were jettisoned. So um, there were there was much more of Bruce Wayne in Iceland, mm-hmm. and I do tend to remember that. Yeah, there was way more of him. Um, so that's one. Um, Bruce Wayne's fa- okay. So apparently there's a Bruce Wayne's failed Aquaman recruitment. Uh, again, this was this was footage released in San Diego Comic Con. So in 2016, a lot of people got to see this, but never made it into the final cut. So again, maybe in the Blu-ray version, folks, you know, maybe we'll get to see some of this. Um, Oh, Barry Allen, Shattering Glass. I do remember seeing this, and that, too, wasn't uh, in the, the... That, too, never made the final cut of this film, of this version of the film. Um, Bruce Wayne observes... Um, he observes a Superman hologram. Um, again, we don't know exactly why, but there was going to be a scene where Bruce Wayne sat at his desk observing a hologram of the Man of Steel. And it's a question we may never get the answer to. But that, too, was something that we saw in the trailer. And remember when we talked about trailers, specifically the snowman? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How, again, well, here we go again. Lois Lane has a dreamy moment with Clark Kent. Um, this was in uh, at the beginning of the second full-length trailer of the blockbuster. Uh, not only does the marketing imply the moment is a dream, but Clark never says, I take that as a yes, and notes the ring on Lois's finger. So um, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff just not used. Um, Alfred sees the return of Superman. That was one of the, in the second trailer, if you remember, he's, he, it appears as if he's in the Batcave and he looks up and he says something to the effect of, oh, we're all wondering when you were going to show up. You know, something to that effect. Not in, not in the movie. Um, so, so that's just a, a list, and, and this comes from CinemaBlend.com. Um, so, again, do trailers lie? <laughs> this one, well, it's sort of you, you still got a sense of what this movie is. My biggest problem with the trailer that I was telling people is I had, I had with with the two trailers that they released. I still had no idea who the hell they were fighting. They hid Steppenwolf. There was, like, you had no idea. You saw, like, these flying monkeys. But I had no idea who, what they were, who they were fighting, what they were fighting for, and why. What's going on here? Um, that was a, for me, from a marketing standpoint, 
that was a problem. Yeah, you to know? be honest, I, I, you know, the, the the trailers themselves were not really that memorable for me, yeah. to be honest. Um, I remember bits here and there, but overall, I didn't really have a clear vision of anything. Yeah. Um, apart from him wanting to get the people back together. Yeah. And that was that. Um, all right. Any last final thoughts before we uh, we wrap this up for today? My only my only my only thoughts are I, I feel that the DC universe, the DC superheroes, deserve better. They really do. Um, they're icon- they're just as iconic to me in any case because this is what I've read. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, man. Green Lantern is some of the best science fiction. When I was introduced to Green Lantern, I'd never looked at Green Lantern as comic books. I, I looked at them as great science fiction stories. They were fantastic. They were wonderful. What I'm getting at here is these characters deserve better. Because they are iconic, great characters. And since the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight series, who paid respect to the character, we haven't really seen much of that. And they need to focus and pay attention. That will get you a crossover. That will bring in the movie-going audiences. You need, there are plenty of good stories to be had from Justice League, from Batman, from Superman, from Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman is already off to a good start with her first, with, with that first movie. Just respect the characters more because they deserve it. They deserve to be every bit as popular and, and as treated with respect as the Marvel characters are. Because there's a lot of thought and mapping out that, that goes into what they've done with the MCU. Equal, equal uh, parody needs to happen with DC. The characters deserve better. I want them to succeed. Uh, I want to see these full realizations. I would love to see the Hall of Justice. Um, I don't yet need a Hall of Injustice. Let the mm. Hall of Justice work on one good movie first before we start this future stuff so that's all i have to say about that all right that. well I, I i don't disagree um and that's that's the real injustice of this it, it, you know there's elements there are elements in this movie despite all the bashing that do work for me and it's sad that they don't they don't have the spotlight on them it's more so the uh, the bad, so it is unfortunate. But what were some of the elements? I know we're trying to wrap up, but because I think we we probably will agree because there, there were some shiny, well, not shiny, but there was uh, I, 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 glimpses. It was the notions that uh, we talked about earlier. Yeah, the no, you know what 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 Batman could have the fact that he's trying to get out of the game and the guilt that he feels. Um, I thought well, Wonder Woman could have been certainly explored in, in the fact that she doesn't want to be a leader because of the cost of it. Um, so then, okay, well, we need Superman as a leader because he, he can be, bring out the hope in all of us and the best in all of us, not because, like, oh, great, we can't do this, so you go, uh, you know, why don't you fight him and we'll right. just watch you. Um, that's not what this should have been about. Agree. Yeah. So. I agree. Um, I agree. Hey, and here's to more, you know, uh, Let's do more movies together. Let's go see more movies together outside of, like, we can see good ones, too. <laughs> yes. So, yes, indeed. But, uh, yeah, it's always fun. It's always fun. And we had Sir Ian 
uh, with us as well. It was no one it knows was Ian. A, it's Our okay. fans don't know Ian. It's okay. It's all, like, it's all who right. Who the hell? The- it's okay. He actually did uh, Under the Skin with us. Um, he was on that, that podcast 50 years ago. But uh, it's always a good time. And you saw it with, we at least saw it with a great audience. Our audience was, for the most part, pretty much into it. And they were actually humorous. Yes, indeed. They enjoyed it. They did. All right. Well, well, fans, thank you as always. We appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, At least our review as much as much as you could. Yeah. Um, In the meantime, for more conversation, for more interaction, for more uh, thoughts, whether on this movie or other movies, you can certainly interact with uh, Dimitri at D. I love doing it at D Movies one seven zero one. There you go. At Phil Svitek at Serafini TV for Marissa. She'll be back. Um, and of course, um, the popcorn talk here and check out other, other of our shows, whether DC movie news, um, if you like other superhero stuff, we have Marvel movie news. We have, we have it all. So definitely check it out. And as mentioned, um, next week we're going to be doing Coco and we're going to do, um, something, something fun. I don't want to spoil it quite just yet, but we're going to try some things, um, to up, uh, our production value and our quality overall so hopefully you enjoy that uh, journey with us so we'll begin that with coco hopefully you guys will enjoy in the meantime happy hey, thanksgiving happy thanksgiving phil thank you uh, and marissa because i know you're listening i hope you are and jeff uh thank you uh, just thank you for for this uh, i want to thank the fans in this thanksgiving because uh this show has gotten me through a lot doing this show um so i wish you family friends i wish all you family have a happy safe and a very fulfilling thanksgiving holiday enjoy enjoy the movies bye guys from producers maria menounos kevin undergaro phil svitek and the entire popcorn talk network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com i'm sir richard wentworth and this has been a presentation of the popcorn talk network the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the popcorn talk network or its owners or principals 